Welcome to the Gods of Tomorrow podcast, where we discuss religious deconstruction, secular humanism, political activism, and epistemology. Together, we explore how to solve human problems with human solutions. We deconstruct, we activate, and then most importantly, we live our fucking lives. I am your host, Josh Ra, and you are the gods of tomorrow. All right, all right, all right. Let's uh, let's do this shit. All right, simmer down, everybody. Kick back, put your feet up. Grab a pen and paper, you might need it as we continue this journey. It is episode three. My name is Josh Raw. You can call me Josh. And today we're going to be talking about what we know of Yahweh. This is the God of the Bible. At least part of the time we see him. I'm going to say him because it's referenced that way many times in the Bible. We see him referenced as Yahweh, but the journey that Yahweh has taken through history from what we can find is an intriguing one. And I'm going to do my best to do this justice and tell you what we know and what we do not know. Now, it would be my argument that the Israelites are actually indigenous Canaanites who moved from the urban areas to smaller settlements in the hill country where they created a somewhat distinctive culture. This view has become more and more popular as archaeology and scholars have found evidence to debunk the idea that the Israelites were just a desert fringe people that originated separate from Canaan. I'm not sure everyone will recognize how controversial that statement is in believing that Yahweh did not originate separate from Canaan, but that is the evidence that I hope to present to you today, and it is also my hope that I don't just completely butcher some of the words and language in doing so with my terrible understanding of language from my American education. But there has been a great deal of speculation on how Yahweh became the one God of all, the creator of heaven and earth, when much of our research shows us that he was a lesser God of a greater pantheon. Now, scholars would agree that he was not worshipped as a monotheistic deity until sometime after the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem and Judah in the 6th century BCE. It wasn't until about the 3rd century BCE that we saw a common acceptance of him being a monotheistic deity. But who was Yahweh previously? The first archaeological record that I'm aware of that regards the name Yahweh comes from two Egyptian templists of foreign names dating to the 14th and 13th centuries BCE. And those Egyptian temple lists say the land of the Shasu of Yahweh. Now there's further epigraphic support in the inscriptions of the Kuntilet Ajrud. That's K-U-N-T-I-L-L-E-T space A-J-R-U-D. 
This is sometimes referred to as a shrine, but it's not certain that's what the Kuntalit Ajrut is. It is located on the northeast part of the Sinai Peninsula, um, but it dates to the 8th century, and it says Yahweh from Samaria and Yahweh from Taman, or the south. And this information, these things in conjunction, tell biblical scholars that Yahweh originated from a group known as the Shasu, or Canaanite nomads from the southern Transjordan, specifically the southern region that is associated with Seir, Edom, Paran, and Taman. Now, for those that are not aware, the Shasu is the Egyptian designation for like nomads or semi-nomads or denizens of the desert. So this tells us that the Shasu who were associated with Yahweh were uh, nomads that traveled in desert areas in the south. And it is generally agreed upon that this group was the primary line that led to the Israelite ethnos, this belief of Yahweh being a God worthy of worship. But what's really important here is knowing that the Tetragrammaton, or the letters YHWH, Yahweh, is connected to the Shasu. And this tells us that Yahweh's place is in the Canaanite pantheon because of the Shasu being directly related to Canaanite nomads. There is the argument that Yahweh came from the north and not from the south. And this information is primarily derived from Psalm 29, where it says, The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. And it's here that we see Yahweh as a kingly weather god like Adad or Baal. But in my opinion, this shows that Yahweh's profile was simply enlarged during the first millennium BCE. Uh, this doesn't necessarily reflect on his positioning in the south before moving northward. And besides that one scripture, the Bible gives us many texts to support Yahweh being a deity from the southwestern territory. Now, remember, I said he was from Seir, Edom, Paran, and Taman. These are all southern regions. We see in Deuteronomy 33.2, Yahweh came from Sinai and rose up unto us from Seir. He shined forth from Mount Paran. Or we have in Judges 5, verses 4 and 5, Yahweh, when you went out from Seir, when you marched forth from the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yea, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the presence of Yahweh, the one of Sinai, from before Yahweh, the God of Israel. Or from Habakkuk, um, verse 3, chapter 3, God came from Taman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. So here we see Seir, Edom, Paran, Taman, even mentioning uh, Mount Sinai, all of these are in the southern region. I wish I could show you a map of these regions, so you'll have to look one up yourself to see where each of them are located at um, in this time period. But Seir is understood to have been located on the east side of the Arabah, uh, where the Edomites were originally settled at. 
They would later expand into the west. Mount Paran is likely to be located near the wilderness of Paran, of course. Um, no one really knows the exact location of Mount Sinai, but guesses range from the south of the Sinai Peninsula up and over to the Gulf of Aquaba into the east, which is considered to be Midianite territory. Now, the Midianite connection is really important for some because Moses' wife, um, was a daughter of Jethro, who was a priest of Midian. He's the one who extolled Yahweh as greater than other gods and tells us that Moses learned of Yahweh through his connection to Midian, if Moses really existed, which is probably a tale for another podcast. But knowing that the Medeans worshipped Yahweh and this is where that connection may have come from a character like Moses is important to some. But before we get into Yahweh's transition into monotheism and being assimilated into ideas like El Shaddai or El Elyon, I want to take a step backwards. The origin of Yahweh prior to even being a storm god, has been theorized and strongly supported that he was a god of volcanism and metallurgy first. The southern region where Yahweh originated was known for its copper mines, and we see this language mirrored in the Bible. The first example that comes to mind is out of Zechariah 6 verses 1 through 5, where we're told that Yahweh dwelled in the mountains of copper. But we also see him described as a fiery deity who makes the mountains smoke in Psalms 144.5 or melts them down in Isaiah 63 verse 19, just like the smelters melt down ore to obtain copper and other metals. And again, in Psalm 18, Yahweh is described with the language, smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire came from his mouth, burning coals blazed out of it which sounds like a furnace to me. Now, there's also the theory that Mount Sinai was volcanic in nature, which supports the idea that he may have been a volcanic god as well, and this later helped him develop into a storm god when he replaced Baal in the Pantheon. One individual who's done quite a bit of research on this is Nassim M. Zalog, and he made the observation that the god of metallurgy generally appears as an outstanding deity. He's generally involved in the creation of the world and or the creation of humans. The overwhelming importance of the god of metallurgy reflects the central role played by the copper smelters in the emergence of civilizations throughout the ancient world. And I'm going to give you some more gods where this is reflected in neighboring civilizations of Canaan. But the mention of Yahweh coming from the south, which again is out of Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 3, and more specifically from the mountains of Seir, which again is out of Judges and Deuteronomy, um, and the mention of him coming from Paran and Sinai, links the origin of his worship with areas where copper was produced between the 4th and the 1st millennia BCE. Again, Zechariah confirms that metallurgical nature of the regions of Yahweh's origin by describing him as dwelling within the mountains of copper. Man, I mean, goddamn, is this sinking in a little bit and looking at this correlation between 
what we're finding in archaeology with the most recent research we have at our fingertips and what we are reading in these ancient texts that don't necessarily mean what we've been told they mean. There's a whole underlying thematic here that is within these so-called scriptures that really give us some insight into the origin of Yahweh. And it gets better because if we look at verses like Deuteronomy 8-9, where the country mentioned that is being given to the Israelites by Yahweh, it is said, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you may dig copper. Yahweh's essential relation with mining and metallurgy is even confirmed in Isaiah 45.1, where the deity intends to disclose his identity to Cyrus by revealing to him the site of mineral treasures. I don't know that I have to talk about the descriptions of Ezekiel on top of this and how that also gives a portrayal of a metallurgical nature of celestial fire. The correlations with this are absolutely fascinating. We think of the Bronze Age between 3300 BCE and 1200 BCE, and we look at the Iron Age as being between 1200 BCE and 600 BCE, which is an important date considering that Yahweh's shift from being one of many polytheistic gods within a polytheistic pantheon to being a monotheistic deity worshipped by a group of individuals aligns with the siege of Jerusalem between 589 and 587 BCE by Nebuchadnezzar II. It shows the ending of the Iron Age with the ending of a god that was primarily associated with metallurgy. And metallurgists and their craft were something of a magical nature during the Bronze Age, which is seen in the tabernacle and temple where gold and copper and silver are abundant. In those early reference points, and I would argue even within the Bible, we see very little mention of iron being associated with Yahweh's holy sphere. And there's strong evidence that Yahweh was going to lose some prestige during the course of iron metallurgy. It's fascinating to read through the Bible and see the references of iron and where it's utilized at, specifically with Joshua and the iron chariots that are referenced there, considering that Iron chariots were not a thing that was being crafted during the early Iron Age. Um, and it's referenced there almost to demonstrate the power of this metallurgy god and what they are. He is able to uh, give his people the strength to craft in order to win battles. But we know that this is the hardcore history that we know. We know that copper production represented the main source of wealth during the first half of the first millennium BCE. And this is especially true for the nation of Edom and in the lands where the worship of Yahweh is highlighted. Not so much in the northern areas of Canaan, where the practice of metallurgy just wasn't as important. Now I'm still researching a little bit about the primeval Yahwehism of explicit metallurgical acquaintance and how this needs to be 
addressed in comparison to the Israelite Yahwehism in order for it to survive post-Iron Age. Um, and there's some speculation that the legitimate legitimacy of Israel worshiping Yahweh is reflected in the silence that we see in the Bible referencing Edom's gods and earlier examples of primeval Yahwehism. Additional reading on this topic uh, would include some implication of the volcanic theophany of Yahweh on his primeval identity. It was published in 2014. There's the Midianite and Kenite hypothesis revisited in the origin of Judah. That's published in the Journal of Studies of the Old Testament. And then a god of volcanoes. Did Yahwehism take root in volcanic ashes? That's published in that same journal in 2014. I have a few more resources for you here in a moment, but I did want to take a note because I promised I would talk about this, about metallurgical traditions that had a commonality in that a metallurgical god would fight other gods within their pantheon. We see this with Ptah in Egypt. We see it with Ea or Enki in Mesopotamia. We see it with Elam in Napir, where this god would battle other gods within the pantheon in order to gain power. And you also see similarities with these gods in forging the universe or even having a part in creating mankind. There are lengthy debates about what came first, the chicken or the egg, in terms of who influenced who. Uh, but Gary Rinsberg has a reference called Israelite Origins that revisits this idea that Yahweh was potentially influenced by areas like Mesopotamia and that this can be seen even within the Bible where we see that Abraham comes from the region of Ur and Haran and Jacob who lived in Haran for 20 years with his family. And some of these concepts of Yahweh may have been influenced by Mesopotamia before Canaan. Many scholars, of course, have kind of abandoned this idea and they're looking for other rationale or reasoning because even though it's probable, the evidence cannot be found in what remains we have left of history. And it's unfortunate that some things just can't withstand the test of time for us to be able to dig up and find the answers to so many of these questions. But I do think that we have enough evidence and enough understanding to see how Yahweh was a metallurgical god prior to taking on the role of a high god or the one god after the Babylonian exile in the 6th century BCE. From the 3rd century onwards, Jews, for instance, ceased to use the name Yahweh and replaced it with Adonai. There's no instance of it in the Canticles, Ecclesiastes, or Esther. And in Daniel, we only see Yahweh occurring seven times, which is a fact that shows us the late date of those books and when they were written. The authors who lived at a period when the Tetragrammaton was already avoided, we see that that utterance of Yahweh had become restricted, both in reading the Bible and in colloquial speech. And I personally wonder if this had anything to do with the fading out of copper metallurgy, iron metallurgy, and the concern that the association would cause Israelite 
Yahwehism to lose its significance with the crumbling of their temples and with the siege of Jerusalem, we see that Yahweh had already overtaken several of the gods within the Canaan pantheon, like Baal. And interestingly enough, we know that Baal came to replace El as the most important deity before Baal lost that position to Yahweh. Another quick point is that the recordings in the Bible in Psalm 18 and Exodus 34 give descriptions of Yahweh that associate him with storms and fire. And these primitive characteristics have been noted by scholars to be in the hymns and inscriptions devoted to Baal of the Canaanites. And this is likely due to the acculturation of the Israelite religion in the region at the time. And this is detailed in 1 Kings 18, if you want to read, but I digress. The point is that the end of the Iron Age and the siege of Jerusalem was a major shift in the understanding of Yahweh as a metallurgy god or a god that had claimed other attributes like a storm god or even beginning to be seen as El Shaddai and El Elyon or the high god in the belief system to being worshipped as a singular god and doing away with the rest of them. Resources like Yahweh and the Gods and Goddesses of Canaan by John Day or William Devers' Did God Have a Wife or The Bible Unearthed by Israel Finkelstein are great resources to have on your shelf which speak to El and the Bin Elohim, or the sons of gods that were originally the lesser deities described in the Canaanite pantheon, which included Yahweh. Other deities you might be familiar with are Asherah, who was the first consort of El, and then later Yahweh. She's also sometimes referred to as Atherat, and she's the mother of 70 gods within the Canaanite pantheon. Uh, there's Yam, the god of the sea. There's Astarte, the goddess of love and fertility, or Mot, the god of the underworld. It's a really long list. I'm not going to read off all 70 of them. Christian apologists will claim that the Canaanite religion is the antithesis of Israelite monotheism. But historians of religion typically tend to view the early Israelite religion as largely evolving out of Canaanite culture, of which it was really just once a part of. And we see in Genesis that Abraham worshipped El, also called El Shaddai and El Elyon, before Yahweh took that name. And Abraham built altars and offered sacrifices and paid tithes in the exact same way that Canaanites paid homage to El. Exodus indicates that the Hebrews knew God only as El Shaddai until the time of Moses, who married the Midianite, where he then learned God's true name, Yahweh, at Mount Sinai, and the lands of the lesser metallurgy god of the pantheon that was known as Yahweh. <laughs>